0: and how their ideas get from the laboratory to the marketplace. Helping people with paralysis. That's the subject of today's Radio K. And with me, I have Alan Hamlet, who is with the company Myelin. Welcome, Alan.
1: Thanks for having me, Richard.
0: So, Alan, let's start out by explaining the core technology, what Myelin has done, how it works, and who it's supposed to help. Try to use no jargon, make it as simple as possible, mainly for me, but also for our listeners. And then at the end, we'll sort of get into the direction the company is going.
1: Okay, I'll do it again. So Mylan's mission is to improve health and human performance by powering people to move. And our first product, Myocycle, is essentially a stationary exercise bike designed for people who have paralysis. So a lot of people don't realize but if someone has paralysis due to something like a spinal cord injury or any damage to the central nervous system due to multiple sclerosis or traumatic brain injury oftentimes the muscles and the nerves in the lower body itself are perfectly fine they just can't hear what the brain is saying so what myelin does with the myocycle is we bypass the damage to the spinal cord and apply electrical stimulation using electrode pads that we place on the skin, these sticky adhesive backed electrode pads over target muscle groups. And we can apply a small amount of electrical current to stimulate those target muscles and get those muscles to contract. And by timing and coordinating the stimulation applied to those different muscle groups in a coordinated way, we can allow someone who's completely paralyzed to perform a functional motion. So the cycle allows someone who's completely paralyzed to actively participate in therapeutic cycling exercise using electrical stimulation, which we call FES, Functional Electrical Stimulation. Okay. Functional electronic or electric stimulation? Electrical. Electrical. Okay. All right.
0: So now we know what it is. And you are the principal inventor of uh, this technology?
1: The inventor was actually my co-founder. We were actually both getting our PhDs in robotics at the University of Florida And the technology was really the topic of his PhD dissertation, so controlling the human body using electrical stimulation. So while we were still in grad school, about five years ago now, we started the company to take this technology to market and help people who are living with paralysis. So
0: Alan, let me ask you a bit about your background. How did you come to this stage, getting involved in the project? Maybe tell us a little bit about growing up. What were your interests as a kid? What was your either inspiration or role models or curiosity that sort of led you to what you're doing now?
1: sure there's a lot that i could use to answer that question but i started out throughout my entire life just really interested in science and technology and math always knew i'd be an engineer basically i I was always the kid who was taking apart my toys and trying to put them back together and half the time i couldn't do it but i just wanted to know how everything worked
0: it's a recurring theme on the show most guys have taken (laughs) apart their toys and don't know how to
1: put them together so yeah i had this curiosity of just how stuff works right so went to school for engineering kind of fell in love with robotics and always looked up to the big innovators that are making a big difference in the world, like the Google co-founders and Elon Musk and Albert Einstein and Nikola Tesla and people who have created these once deemed crazy ideas that are now social norms and uh, making a big difference in the world. So both my co-founder Matt and I have people in our lives who've been affected by mobility, have had health issues, for me, it was my uncle at a very young age. He fell off a ladder, hit his head, suffered a traumatic brain injury that left him paralyzed. And throughout my years as a high schooler, I witnessed firsthand how immobility really affects your health and quality of life. His health just steadily deteriorating due largely due to his lack of mobility. And so this idea of empowering people to move really... You saw it up close. Right. You know, we know firsthand the terrible side effects of not being able to move. Everyone needs exercise. And if you just can't use the largest muscle groups in your body, you atrophy. just... Atrophy. Yeah, you'll atrophy, you'll deteriorate, you won't be able to have those cardiovascular benefits. And
0: did Matt have a similar experience or circumstance?
1: Yeah, well, his mother has had all sorts of health issues, different types of cancer, and just has been impacted. And I know that he likes to relay a story where when he started going to engineering school, he actually was into prosthetics. And she's like, I wish you could make me a new body. And so... interesting. We're not making people new bodies, but we're helping them utilize right. the bodies to the best of their ability. So when
0: you both entered engineering school, did you already have in the back of your head sort of the problem or the set of problems that you wanted to solve? Or was it only after studying a little bit of engineering that you realized that you could actually do something about these things that you've been thinking about?
1: Yeah, I would say absolutely not. <laughs> we, we didn't know. I mean, we really just knew we had a passion for technology. Uh-huh. We had a passion for solving problems. And this happened to be a problem that we weren't actually... Actively trying to solve at the time, but we really saw the opportunity, right? We right. we knew that robotics specifically, which is what we're very, very interested in, kind of led us here. Our PhD program was in robotics, but started seeing how the analogs between the human body and robotic systems and how the technology that we were working on can be used to solve this problem that we recognize and have firsthand experience with. And so we saw this opportunity to really make a difference and we seized it and went for it and started the company and, and are bringing this technology to market.
0: Was there a particular point in your engineering training, um, either for you or for Matt, in which it boiled down to a particular class or a teacher or even a certain lesson in which it all of a sudden dawned on you like, wow, this is not just theoretical stuff I'm learning in a book that I need to pass for a test to get a degree. This is actually something that functionally I can figure out something really useful to do this. Or was it just sort of a dawning realization?
1: Well, I would say it was more gradual and over time and especially during graduate school, you start doing things that are still very theoretical, but you can see directly the, the implications of, of some of those theories that you're learning about. But again, my co-founder Matt and I are very entrepreneurial and very wanting to solve problems in the real world. Mm-hmm. So we actually took a class called Engineering Entrepreneurship. And that's actually where... At University of Florida? At the University of Florida, yeah. And Eric Sander was actually the teacher of the oh, class. Right. Yeah, Eric's great. Yeah, he is great. He is great. And we wrote Milan's first business plan. That's when the light went off in my head that, wow, this needs to be a product. Like, there's a huge, huge problem. We have this technology to help solve this problem. And writing the business plan and looking at the the market, you know, I realized how big that market was. And looking at the competitive landscape, there's nobody solving this problem. And so I realized that somebody needed to do it and no one else was going to do it. So so we had to do it.
0: <laughs> so it sounds like you and Matt were somewhat unusual and again I'm trafficking in stereotypes here, but often the knock on engineers is that they don't maybe look at the wider business applications. They're they're focused on the numbers and the you know, the actual calculations. And then the knock on the business students is that they've got all these great ways to go to market, but their ideas are lousy, right? So, right. Um, and I know some universities I can't remember if University of Florida does this. Did you have a class in which you were thrown together with business students or in the same orbit and you're trying to Solve a real or hypothetical problem, coming at it from the engineering angle on one side and kind of the business entrepreneurial angle on the other side.
1: I never really had an experience like that before. With the engineering entrepreneurship class, we had to form a virtual company with what was all engineering students. So you're all
0: engineering students, yeah. Okay. So
1: right. n- neither me or my co-founder had any business background, okay. but then we you found like you had an knack for it, or well, we learned it. You know, yeah, we you learned, learned it. it. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and one of the ways we did that is we audited the business college's... Um, I see, okay. ...business plan lab. All right. Um, and they have a, a business plan competition around that class. Got so it. we audited the class and competed in the competition and actually got second place uh, and won $10,000, which helped us hire get our first started. employees and get started.
0: Let's talk about where you are now in terms of uh, your company. Let's start out by saying it sounds like you've got a great core idea. Have you been surprised, I guess, of either... A, how easy it's been to convince others that it's a great idea, or B, how hard it's been to convince others, sort of bring them along to the concept.
1: I think a lot of people immediately see the need for the technology, but kind of to your point earlier, they, they don't necessarily see the business model around it, right? Okay. Especially when we're talking about paralysis, everyone's like, "Oh, that's a niche market, right? That's a that's a niche market. Oh, that market that can't afford this product, you're not going to make any money, right?"
0: So the argument is that the number of people affected is too small for it to really be
1: viable. Okay, you know, which is kind of a sad answer. That doesn't mean that it's not a huge problem and it's not something that provides tremendous value to people who have paralysis. But a lot of people don't realize how many people are actually affected by paralysis. You know, the Christopher and Dana Reeves Foundation estimates that over 5 million people have some type of paralysis in, in just in the United States. It depends on who I'm talking to, right? right? If I'm talking to investors, sometimes it's hard to convince them of the value proposition. But if I'm talking to patients or clinicians or physicians, they see the need. They, see, they recognize that this is a great product but not necessarily the business proposition, right? And that's something that we had to develop over time, right? From as being an engineer without a business background.
0: Tell me a bit about the cost, because from what I saw on your website, and hopefully we'll be able to put this up on our website, it doesn't look like that expensive a core proposition. I mean, you have essentially, it looks like kind of a modified exercise bicycle almost, but obviously you've got the electrical stimulation component. Are these expensive to manufacture to the standards that you're doing, or what's the general cost point, I guess?
1: Well, our goal is to really bring this technology to all the people that can benefit from it. Mm -hmm. So, we're trying to get as high volumes as possible, right? We're shooting for thousands of systems per year. And at that level, we can bring the cost down significantly. I see. Right now, we're not at those volumes. So, the cost is relatively high for us. And it's also regulated by the FDA, right? It's a class two medical device, prescription only. So, there is that kind of aspect to having to build it to FDA quality standards. But again, it being a medical device, we help file insurance reimbursement. So oftentimes our customers get it at no cost to them. We have financing options, right? We work with a third party financier. A lot of states actually have programs to help get assistive technology that this qualifies for. So a lot of times the patients don't actually have to pay anything out of pocket. But to kind of give you an idea, the next closest thing to what our product is, is about $17,000. And I could say that our product is significantly less than that.
0: that, Okay. Do you have FDA approval for this? We do. You do?
1: Okay. So, uh, yeah. Was that a long...
0: I've heard horror stories about getting FDA approval. How did yours go?
1: It took us a long time to get all the documentation and get our ducks in a row, finalize the product. We wanted to make sure we built what we wanted to build which took a long time. But once we submitted, we did a great job and got cleared in record time. It took about 97 days from submission to clearance. Wow.
0: Sounds amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Everyone said it was going to take six months, and we're like, "Eh, I don't know. I think we can do it sooner than that.
0: Did you hire a specialist or an expert at FDA approval process?
1: Yeah, we hired a consultant, local consultant here in Gainesville, Mm -hmm. and he was uh, instrumental in helping us put our application together. And uh, my co-founder, Matt Bellman, the chief technology officer, did a phenomenal job at really analyzing all the standards and what needed to be submitted, all the documentation we needed to put together.
0: And does Matt have a patent on this or does the company have a patent on this technology?
1: Well, the university is patenting it. Since Got it. Okay. The technology was developed during his research here at the University of Florida. And so we have an exclusive license, license. To that patent. License. Okay.
0: Yeah. All right. So going forward then, assuming you're you're successful and you've established yourself, are there other applications beyond the paralysis market, so to speak? Is this something that older people who are no longer getting much exercise, who are maybe partially mobile, would that be a benefit to them? Or are there other markets out there that if you could manufacture at a a competitive cost point that you're thinking about?
1: Yeah, so Myelin's mission, again, is to improve health and human performance by empowering people to move. Mobility is a huge issue, especially with the aging population, right? The baby boomers getting older. I think the population of 60 plus is starting to surpass the population of 60 minus mm-hmm. right now. So it's a huge issue, mobility. And mobility has a direct correlation to quality of life and lifespan. And so myelin is not just one product, right? We're, we're developing a lot of other things around robotic mobility, right? For both rehabilitation and functional mobility. So there's a definitely a huge market potential for a company that is helping to build products, incorporating some of this state-of-the-art robotic technology that is coming out. Algorithms are getting much better. My background is AI and machine learning. Electronics are getting cheaper. And just the understanding of control systems are getting better. And understanding of human physiology is getting better. And I think now is kind of really a, a turning point. I don't know if how familiar you are with robotic exoskeletons. But there's several Little companies bit. that <laughs> that are doing that now, uh-huh. but n- they've all missed the mark, I think. Right. And so there's a couple different products that we're working on that utilize the core concept of using robotics to improve health and human mobility by empowering people to move.
0: The conventional wisdom for startups, particularly those originated at university technology, is that you know it's really hard to make that transition for the academic into the entrepreneur slash business world. Some people manage to do it, but eventually, you know, the conventional wisdom is you got to sort of choose, right? Either you stay in academia or you move into business, but you can't do both. Where do you see yourself, say, in, in five or 10 years, you and, and Matt, do you want to stay kind of in that world of research and keep cranking out great ideas and handing them over to business people who will take it to
1: market? Or do you want to do
0: both? Or
1: I want to be involved in bringing products to market. R&D is extremely fun, and as an engineer, that's kind of what I, I like to do. But I always, you know, even getting my PhD, I never saw myself as being in academia. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be out building things that are having an impact in the real world. Right. Five, ten years from now, I see myself with myelin pioneering new products that are solving bigger and more and more problems.
0: Virtually every entrepreneur I've talked to has a great disaster story in which, you know, they made a key assumption that was wrong or an investor pulled out. Now, you had a great FDA process, so I know it's not your FDA approval. Did you have anything, you know, in the past couple of years or at all that you and Matt encountered that you just said, wow, this sucks, we're done? (laughs) Um, Or has it been fairly smooth sailing?
1: Definitely has not been smooth sailing. (laughs) I wouldn't say that. But I think one thing that has been the bane of my existence (laughs) as CEO of Myland has just been fundraising, right? Mm -hmm. So just begging investors for money and trying to get the capital required to achieve our vision. You have something you always need to be trying to do. And it's not fun. I don't enjoy doing it, right? I'd rather be at least business planning or developing product or something. So there's been times where funds got low, things got very difficult. And really hard decisions had to be made. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that you just have to deal with as an entrepreneur.
0: When you talk to investors, are you surprised by any of their assumptions or questions about either the technology or the business model?
1: I would say the most enlightening thing that I've learned throughout the last five, six years or so is how complicated the healthcare system is. There's just so many different parties involved, different stakeholders involved with making decisions and getting patients the, the care they need, right? So this is something, our product, the motorcycle, is something that we believe every person with paralysis needs in their home to maintain their health and well-being. This is something they need, but in order to really get it to them. We need to convince the patient, we need to convince the physician, we need to convince the health insurance company, and then all the suppliers in between, right? As a manufacturer, we sell direct, but we also sell through suppliers. And there's a lot of moving parts, right? And The difficulties of working with different insurance companies, of which there are a plethora and they all have different procedures and processes for submitting insurance claims and you might have to be a licensed DME supplier in certain states and you have to be a contracted provider for them to even look at your insurance claim. It just makes the whole process very cumbersome. Everyone should be aligned in improving care and quality of life and reducing costs for the patient. That should be the goal. But And oftentimes it is, but it's just, it's very difficult to do with the processes that we have in place here.
0: I think what comes as a surprise to a lot of people who are building businesses or building institutions is the extent to which you have to essentially be a storyteller, right? You you have to communicate ideas to various audiences, and then it dawns on you that they actually each need a different story. (laughs) The message is going to be different depending on if you're talking to a regulator or an investor or the general public for that matter. That is absolutely true, yeah. Alan, name your companies. Myelin, spelled M-Y-O-L-Y-N. What is your website if people want more information?
1: It's simply myelin.com, M-Y-O-L-Y-N.com. Dot com,
0: okay. Well, we wish you all the best. Thanks very much for coming on Radio Cade. And once you've hit the big time and you're a billionaire in Silicon Valley, we'll have you back on the show and you'll have a huge following by then. But- I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you are. Uh, thanks, Alan. Appreciate it. Radio Cade would like to thank the following people for their help and support. Liz Gist of the Cade Museum for coordinating inventor interviews. Bob McPeak of Heartwood Soundstage in downtown Gainesville, Florida for recording, editing, and production of the podcasts and music theme. Tracy Collins for the composition and performance of the Radio Cade theme song featuring violinist Jacob Lawson. And special thanks to the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention, located in Gainesville, Florida.